Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Snap Out of It Radio Network. Hear all our great shows across the world. Join our community at snapoutofitradionetwork.com. So wake up, stand up, and snap out of it. Empowered Love with author, self-mastery coach, and relationship expert, Melanie Tanya Evans. Take back your power, heal your soul, and set yourself free. Free through Empowered Love. And now your host of Empowered Love, Melanie Tanya Evans. Hi everyone, I'm Mel, and welcome to another Empowered Love radio show. Now this show today is another one of our Thriver stories and this Thriver story is a lovely lady named Deanna and I think what's really important about this story is some of the previous stories that I've been doing leading up to this story have about, been about people that have been in long-term relationships with narcissists and it was quite possibly their first marriage and it was since being their uh, late teens or their early 20s that they were with this person but Deanna's story relates to a lot of us in the community, including myself, it was my story as well, that this wasn't about our first relationship, this wasn't about our, our, our uh, it might not have been the original marriage that you had, it might have been later in life that the narcissist came along into your life after other relationships and other experiences and that's why I think Deanna's story is very, very important because a lot of people in the community are going to be able to relate to it. So, Deanna, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your Thriver story. Well, thank you for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, it's lovely to have you. So, Deanna, we're going to get started. So, can you please explain to the listeners your story? Okay, I basically came to your website and Facebook page when I had been talking to a good friend of mine um, about my marriage and she had a similar situation, was um, involved with a narcissist. So she mentioned to me narcissism, I googled it online because I'd never heard of it before. So it sent me to several websites. I found yours, and I read the definition of narcissism, and that was kind of my first wow moment. It was like, oh, my God, someone knew my story. So, and then I went, I'm a Facebook person, so I went to your Facebook page and began reading posts from the, the ladies and gentlemen on the Facebook, along with all the articles that were posted on the uh, um, on the Facebook page as well. It was familiar and I felt so relieved to actually find out that there were other people like me in this world because I um, had been involved in this relationship for about four or five years and I, I kind of alternated between thinking I was going crazy and then the rest of the time thinking I was almost at that happy place that I wanted to be at. Um, 
at that point when I found your website, it had been like two weeks since I had told my ex that if he had did not quit drinking, that I was going to have to leave the marriage. Um, he, when I confronted him with that, told me I had no right to ask him to do that, and that confirmed for me that basically I had absolutely no rights in the marriage. I told him that, and I took my stuff and I left for good. Um, so that's kind of how I got there. I I kept hearing about the NARP program, um, and I wasn't quite sure what that was. And but on the Facebook page, which I went to all the time, I I. Um, I kept hearing about it. I wasn't sure if that's something I needed, even though the story sounded so familiar. I just still wasn't sure whether my ex was even an arc. Um, he had me convinced that none of what had been happening was his fault, and a big part of me felt really selfish and cold because of the way I felt towards him. I really didn't like him, and I had married this man. Um, I didn't know how I could trust myself at that point. I was so confused. I think so many people, Deanna, are going to relate to that because there is a point in a narcissistic relationship for everybody where you question yourself. You're having so much projected onto you, being told it's your fault constantly that you really can't work out, is this person a narcissist or not? Or is there something I'm doing that's triggering this horrendous behavior? This is just, just so consistent, what you're describing there. So like so many of us, you knew that leaving was gonna mean losing a lot of what you had invested emotionally, practically, and financially into this relationship. So can you explain a bit about that? Absolutely, it was, that was, so um, kind of hard for me to come to terms with because we'd had this big, beautiful wedding. Um, we had made promises to my my two children and to his daughter. Um, he had become involved in my church, and we had just become members together there. Um, I felt a lot of shame and embarrassment. Here I am, an older woman, and you know I hadn't I'd been single for quite a while. And um, I just to end one more marriage, kind of, um, I felt a lot of guilt and remorse. And financially, I'd had I'd invested a lot. Um, it was just at that point hard to walk away from it um, without looking backwards. Um, also, I had that perception of being a good wife and you know standing by my man and and even though he all these behaviors um he was project our doing the conflict that we had and he would diminish me and my personhood, he would not talk to me, he was drinking, he forgot things, he was blaming everyone else, never himself. Um, it was just that huge list we all pretty much know. Um, but I was still so hooked and so torn because I just, it was so hard to let go of the dream, I guess. But I knew if I continued to live like that as well, that I was going to die. It was like I, my soul was yelling at me 
to just not give in to the madness. So I was just that being torn in two pretty much. And it's horrible. We all know that place. It's awful. So, Deanna, when did you finally decide to do the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Program? I was kind of trying to white-knuckle it. And then finally, um, you know, those, those waking up every day thinking my first thoughts being about him and what could I have done different? Why did this happen? Maybe if I tried harder... Maybe I'm not meant to have a life partner. All those things that that haunted me all the time, and now I know that we kind of all go through. I was so angry and not sure even if I could love anybody anymore. Um, that's kind of when I I came to the realization that I just I'm not going to get to do this by myself and. Um, all the anxiety, all the exhaustion. Finally, I just said, "Okay, I'm just going to try this. It's not going to hurt me just to try to try to do this program." Um, and this was like three months after I'd found your site, so I was kind of resistant to this. And um, but based on everyone's success stories, the people that were doing this, I'm like, "Okay, I'm just going to try it. What's the worst thing that could happen? <laughs> I've been through enough. I'm going to just go for it." Mm, let's okay. Let's just retrace a little bit. If you can explain your journey before meeting the ex narcissist. Wow. I um I was two years sober when I met him. Um, prior to that time, I'd been in recovery in my early twenties uh, for about five years. I was an ex smoker. Um, I smoked from age fifteen to forty five years old. Um, I had had food and body issue images since about the age of 12. Um, I never, though, realized that I was addicted pretty much to drama and the craziness of the narcissist lifestyle. Um, I've since come through the NARC program, realized that my mother is, is definitely a narcissist. So, um, Basically, I feel like I was primed and ready for this relationship. Um, when I met my ex, he was introduced to a friend, and I really felt like God had finally rewarded me for all the hard times in my life, um, that he had picked this man for me. Um, the only negative thing I felt um, the first night I met him was that perhaps he was a little too old for me. Um, he was seeing someone else at the time and who I later found out he broke up with the week after we met. He called over the weekend after we met um, at my place of business. He left a message. He called the next day after we had opened and he left two more messages. Um, I pretty much liked this guy. He, from the get-go, um, I called him back and then we set up a meeting to... Um, get together. Mm, so how did he present himself to you at the start? Oh man, he, we met, we talked for hours. He seemed like an open book to me. Um, he was forthright, he seemed honest. He um, even said to me, ask me anything you want, I'm an open book. Um, 
he was very impressed with the fact that I owned my own business. I was a single parent. He loved that I had my own life, my uh, had interests, and that I had done so much for myself. Um, I kind of asked him my usual kind of questions about how long he'd been divorced, how many kids he had, what he did for a living, and um, he pretty much passed everything. Um, he was, in my opinion, better than okay. He told me he moved here from California. He owned three homes. He had a boat. He had his own business. He had worked for a Fortune 500 company for 35 plus years. Um, he worked his way up in that company. He had big plans. He was um, attractive, he was attentive, he dressed nice, he drove a great car. <laughs> and um, not once did he say anything negative about his ex-wife. He didn't seem jaded to me with regard to relationship, which was something I found so often when I was dating men. Um, so that was very impressive to me. It was just very kind of um, just kind of like a light in a dark place. But um, he asked me to go out the next night, and I said yes. And then from there on, it was like a whirlwind for the next three months. And I can't tell you, I'd never felt so happy in my entire life. I was literally could not eat. I could not sleep. I woke up excited every day. Um, I just was blown away that this man was so incredible. And I really felt like God gave me this presence. And it was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Um, in fact, I called my dad, uh, like, after the second date, which um, we're very close, and I told him, you know, I think I finally met a grown-up dad, and um, that's, yeah. Well, and I think the important message is, isn't it, take your time, because there are narcissists, and the second, the first narcissist in my life, there was a lot of warning signs first up, the second one hit them very, very well very well so take your time we all need to understand that okay so when i know he sounded like the perfect guy huh oh yeah mm. okay so deanna when did the first red flag appear well and it was pretty much at the three month mark um we he had invited me to go or i'll ask me to come hang out with him at one at his vacation home that was on the water and help him do some light yard work it was springtime lots of weeds here when um spring hits and we had gone to the nursery and picked out some flowers drove to the home and started to do the yard work uh, yard work is not one of my favorite things to do but um and i my job's very physical too so uh, i didn't really i don't like doing that on my days off, but I figured it'd be a nice gesture. I can help him hammer out some chores. We can have the rest of the day together, and, um, you know, it would just be a nice day. But I, when we got there, we visited a little bit, and I put my headphones on to listen to some music and just kind of dig in and get this stuff done. Um, he wanted to talk. He seemed a little agitated, um, didn't say anything, and just kind of walked off. Uh, so I kind of got these hints, so to speak, and took um, 
my headphones off so I could give him my undivided attention. He also had told me that uh, a mutual friend of ours had called and was going to meet us for dinner and that he wanted me to make him dinner, him and his friend dinner, after we were doing, done doing the yard work. And that took me back. Um, I was kind of like, he never asked me. He just basically said this is what I was going to do, which um, kind of surprised me. But I dismissed it and said, you know, this is just kind of one of the compromises I, we make in relationships. Um, the day took, it was a lot longer than I had thought of. I was exhausted when we were heading back home and I fell asleep in the car. And when I woke up, we were almost there and I asked him, my first thought was, oh, I hadn't heard about dinner. And I asked him, had he talked to our friend, what time he was coming for dinner, and if we were going to stop by the store. He seemed kind of distracted and still agitated and told me he hadn't called him back because I had fallen asleep and it was just no big deal. And to be honest, I was relieved and kind of happy so we could just kind of hang out and I didn't have to cook. <laughs> And um, so, but when we got back to the house, he started putting stuff away and he was really quiet. And then he sat in front of the TV and didn't talk. And I remember kind of having this kind of funny feeling like something was wrong, but I wasn't quite sure. And I just didn't worry about it. So I thought maybe he's tired. I sat down on the chair next to cuddle, next to him to cuddle for a minute. Um, he was very unresponsive, so I just told him, okay, I'm just going to go home. And he said, okay, and I left. I was a little confused, but again, not overly concerned because it was a long day. Um, he always called every day, sometimes two or three times a day. And the following day, I heard nothing from him. And um, the, next, the next day, I heard nothing from him. And then I started getting really frustrated. I just had no idea what was going on. So I called him. Um, and it was strange because he was really friendly, but very casual. And he acted like he was like surprised I'd even called. Um, and I remember thinking it was really odd at that time. Um, I told him I was confused that he hadn't called me, and he told me he was just taking some time to think about the relationship. Um, he told me that when we were together, it was a Sunday, that I had acted like we'd been married for years. Um, and I was confused. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you fell asleep on the way home. Um, you didn't want to talk during the yard work, and you didn't want to make my friend and me dinner. You didn't put the effort out. And he, you know, I remember his term. It was, you know, he didn't think it was appropriate behavior for someone who had been dating for such a short period of time. Um, it was just weird. And I kind of went into... And this was kind of a turning point. I went into the fix-it mode and kind of said, you know, rather than withholding conversation, um, don't you think it'd be more effective to talk about his concerns? Um, not once did I tell him how I felt about the situation. You know, in retrospect, um, I just completely ignored that that fact and that my truth was not in alignment with his expectations. Um, 
Anyway, so I, I asked him, you know, let's continue to talk openly about things so we can discuss things as they come up um, rather than you just not calling me. Um, and so that's kind of the way it started. And then things just little by little started to change after that. Um, he had agreed, you know, let's communicate better kind of thing. Um, but then he just little by little started getting moody and just that underlying kind of negative um, stuff started creeping in around the edges. Um, I, he started to drink more. Um, he kind of made subtle little suggestions to me about how I dressed, how I did my makeup. Um, it was almost like little put downs, but not quite put downs. So it was always just a little confusing um, and just put me off kilter. It was just a lot of um, just subversive enough that I couldn't quite put my finger on why I felt so mm. bad. Those red flags. And it's we don't realize mm. until we're in a narcissistic relationship that that is not normal behavior. That is egoic, empty, insecure, childish behavior. You've got your headphones on, you're not paying me attention. Yeah, you fell yep. asleep in the car. How dare you? It is only somebody <laughs> with narcissistic personality disorder who really has the emotional intelligence of a five-year-old that is actually going to behave like that. Normal, healthy adults don't, but we don't know that. And that point that you made, that this is what we all did, we went into fix-it mode. I remember at the six-week point with my second narcissistic relationship, there was absolutely a behaviour that was just insane. And I fell right into it. It hooked me at my weakest point, which was fear of abandonment. I handed all my power over. And from that point on, that set up the dynamic. And this is what narcissists do. They find out where that gap is, they hit you with that gap, you start fixing, you take responsibility for it and it sets you up for a cycle of abuse. So let's look out for all of that. Everybody out there, if you know you're living with this sort of stuff, healthy, normal adults do not behave like that. It's narcissistic. So what other aspects of you and your life, Deanna, was he not happy about? He, one of the biggest concerns I had about that three-month mark is he started voicing the fact that I still had children. I had two children living at home with me. And um, that was one of my biggest struggles because it always felt like a threat almost. That like if I jumped through another hoop, then the kid issue wouldn't be that big of a deal and that he would get back to loving me. Um, so that was a big thing, a big red flag. Um, then at one point we had spent a weekend together and he had drank way too much and he just became uh, really arrogant more so than I'd ever seen. And one evening in particular, I was in tears by the time we had dinner and he actually said that he was sorry that he perhaps he was being mean. Um, it was so confusing and just crazy making. It was just, uh, it was awful. <laughs> he told me at one time, at one point in this weekend too, and that was um, kind of a turning point at that time, that he didn't want anyone to get hurt. 
and that was, he was hoping that that was that wouldn't happen. Basically, alluding to the fact that perhaps it wasn't going to work between us. That night, I wrote him a letter. I remember um, the first of many actually ending the relationship. Um, he was passed out on the bed, and I sat there writing and rolling things through my head, trying to figure out how everything had started to go so wrong to get us to that point or get me to that point. Um, the next morning, he woke up and saw that I'd been writing and asked me if I had written a Dear John letter um, because of his bad behavior. And I said, yes, I had. I remember thinking that I just had to get through the weekend and then I could get on with my life and I could just make the best of a bad situation. He then flipped it and became very charming again and uh, I chose to just basically ignore it. Um, after several more of these times, basically I finally decided I just couldn't um, keep up with his kind of come here, go away behavior. And I, I talked to my dad for some advice and he basically said, just let him know that he's simply not the man we thought he was when we met him. And I remember now, especially it's like the best advice I've ever gotten. And, and that conversation ran through my brain a lot of times and kind of haunted me. Um, that was the solution. It was so simple. And I immediately called him, my ex, and told him that, and it felt so good. But basically, he he said, you know, it's not fair to me to just end it like that. We could we at least meet and talk it over. And he was acted shocked and that I could even walk away so easily. And it felt, that felt good. But in rest, it in retrospect, I think this was my first glance of the fact that I wasn't dealing with a real person, but I agreed to meet him and told, and he told me he felt the relationship was too good to end and he was willing to make changes so that we could learn how to communicate better. Again, it was like a combined thing. It wasn't about him. It was about this communication problem that we had. Um, he said all the right things, and the madness just continued. Um, uh, uh, Deanna, if you're there, we've just got a little bit of um, static going on in your background. I was wondering if you could just maybe talk into the microphone a little bit more directly, and we'll see if that okay. reduces it. Sure. Yeah, it's just quite a bit of static coming through. Okay, let's see. All right, so keep going. We'll see how that goes. Okay. Um, the ups and downs pretty much continued over the next several months. Um, he called me one day and told me he just didn't think um, he could deal with the fact that I had two children. Um, and even though he loved me, he just didn't think we had a future together. I told him that was fine, got off the phone, and I was devastated, I was angry, I was confused, but I just did my best to move on. Um, it was hard to let go, um, and after a couple of weeks, I emailed him. He emailed me back, and we agreed to meet for lunch to talk things through. <clears throat> he said he didn't think I really understood our last conversation and felt I didn't give him time to explain himself. Um, so I wasn't quite sure what that meant, but I agreed to have lunch. Um, 
we met and I basically told him that if I wasn't the woman for him, it was just that easy and, you know, let's just move on. I didn't say any more than that. Um, that may have been a challenge for him or something. I'm not sure, but he came back at me and said, you know, you're, I'm 99.9% sure that you're the woman for me. Um, I was shocked. I did not expect that. Um, and I, so I just kind of looked out the window thinking, what the hell's going on? Excuse my language. <laughs> and, um, and he said, no, 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 no. Because I take that back. You're a hundred, I'm, I'm 150% sure that you are the woman for me. And, um, that just hooked me. It was a total trigger. I, it didn't exactly what I was waiting to hear. And I basically had my Prince Charming back and I, he proposed to me and I said, yes. Mm, the deep inner healing journey of narcissistic abuse. We start to understand that, yeah, we've all fallen for it totally. That the words, we've fallen for the words, but we need to understand people do not change their behavior until they change the wounds that are creating their behavior. Mm. Words mean nothing. But yeah, we all did it. <laughs> okay, so Deanna, what happened after you agreed to marry him? Well, we um, he basically told me, you know, I'll treat you like a, a queen. And he wanted a large wedding. He wanted all his family there, all his friends, the kind of production. It was both of our our third wedding, I didn't want a big wedding that I gave in because um, it was important to him. Um, I agreed to pay for my half of the wedding. Um, he also wanted me to buy a new car to pull the boat. Um, and I agreed to do that because I just paid off my car. Um, I was, my income was moderate, but he assured me that with his income, I wouldn't have to contribute to the household except for buying food, um, stuff like that. So to me, that sounded like a dream come true. Um, there was some good months kind of planning the wedding, um, living in the love bubble, bubble, I call it. Um, but then little by little, again, the grandiosity, all the judgment and um, picking me apart, picking his friends apart. Um, he also, as soon as the kids and I moved in, started with my kids. Um, just crazy behavior. He wouldn't allow them to have anything in their bedrooms. Um, personal items. They had their rooms had to stay the same as had as when they moved in. I couldn't even have my own alarm clock on my bed table. Um, his demands just became insane. And I remember my kids are teenagers, um, and I felt them just kind of slipping away from me. Um, being torn into like how do I how do I take care of my kids but keep my husband happy um and it, it wasn't it wasn't working anyway my son's high functioning autistic and my ex would pick at him and get angry at him and then demand that I talk to my children um I one night I came home um, 
from work. I worked nights. He was in bed and having a glass of wine, which was his kind of routine that I wasn't aware of. He drank every night. Um, and he just attacked me. He told me I didn't discipline my children, that they were lazy, that they weren't doing anything that they'd agreed to do, um, that I had allowed them to get away with everything, that I was an inconsistent parent, it just on and on and on. And it devastated me. I, um, I'd been attacked before, but not at that kind of level. Um, I tried to talk to him, reason, try to figure out what had gone on. He said, that's it. That's all. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm done. I'm going to bed. Um, I, well, my stomach, my heart was in my stomach. I had no idea what to do. I was, and that I was so angry because I tried to talk to me, flat refused to talk to me. It was just, that was it. Um, I kind of got in a screaming match and I remember I hit him in the chest (laughs) and I had not felt that kind of rage since I was a kid. I remember thinking after everything I've done and tried to do after putting up with all this crap for all these months, now you're attacking me as a mother and you're attacking my children. I hated him. Um, and I married him, and I put my children in his home. Yeah, now there are so many people in the community, and myself included, that have lost it when you're experiencing the narcissistic abuse and the insanity. You're definitely not alone. So, how did you? Re- you can you, truly, you can understand why people do crazy things. So, how did he respond to you doing that? He told me to leave, told me to get out of his house. Um, And that brought up every fear that I, it was just awful. I I left though. I I felt like an absolute failure. My kids were devastated. Um, It was drama. Um, And I just remember wanting it just to be the way it was supposed to be, the way he told me it was gonna be. Um, and then uh, the other thing that after we had this argument, it was kind of, he had one more weapon against me. Um, so, cause anytime we ever had another issue, we, we reunited again, the, the saga continued. Um, and, but anytime we had an issue, he would bring that up as far as I had anger issues and he was afraid to talk to me because he didn't want me to get angry again and um, he was afraid I would lose it again and so he always accused me of acting inappropriately Um, like you said the one time in four years I lost my temper and it was thrown in my face every time we had a disagreement Um, it was crazy making and so I was like virtually left without a voice he like when I I told I mentioned earlier when we got married I had no idea he was a daily drinker Um, he had gotten you know 
drank too much a few times, but never, I had no idea he drank every day. Um, his health wasn't good. Um, he owed money to the Internal Revenue Service. He had taken out all the equity in his home so that he could buy his business um, and remodel his home. He had taken his daughter out of college in the final year so she could run his businesses for him um, and not pay her final year of college um, because he'd been fired from the long-standing job of 35 plus years because of an inappropriate relationship he'd had with his assistant. Um, those are just like the big things, the, the list goes on and on. Um, the one thing too, and on our honeymoon, because um, he had before this, before our honeymoon, he said, you know, all you have to do is contribute money to, to food because um, um, he said he needs more than enough. And then we were sitting in this beautiful place on the beach and he said he needed to discuss our, our financial arrangements because he didn't want to be taken advantage of financially. Um, and that I had to contribute. And um, anyway, that was um, a big blow on our honeymoon. Um, so, and things just deteriorated over the next few months. Um, and actually, in just a little over a year, I moved myself and the kids out of his home and back into my condominium. Um, his just in that amount of time, his businesses um, weren't producing what he had projected. Um, he was starting to lose everything financially. I did not know the extent um, because he continued to send money the way he always did, shopping, dinners out, vacations, golf and country clubs. Um, I had no idea how bad it was. Um, I was afraid to tell him um, we basically did not speak um, for it, it was just um, thinking back on it I just it was so crazy um, I was afraid to tell him I was gonna move out so I rented a place um, um, and I didn't want, I remember I just didn't want to hear him tell me again how terrible I was. So um, I was kind of moving things out little by little. And on the weekend before I was going to move, he called me when I was on my way to work and asked if I was moving because he'd noticed some stuff of mine was missing. Um, and he looked into the kids' room and um, noticed that most of their stuff was gone, too. And I told him, yes, I was moving out. Um, he told me he was disappointed and was upset that I was afraid of him. I remember thinking, you know, I have to do this. Otherwise, I was going to lose my mind. And at that point, I really felt like... Um, 
the only alternative if I stayed there was I was going to get drunk. Um, and I was sober um, almost five years, I think, by then. I'm not sure. Um, but it was kind of, if, if I don't leave, how do I live with somebody every night and not talk to them? It was just, anyway, the fear and the loneliness, um, crying pretty much every day. He wouldn't talk to me. He looked at me in disgust most of the time. Um, he didn't want to be intimate. We, our intimate life was nothing. Um, he was too stressed out, um, basically, to deal with anything that concerned me. Um, he also worked from home. He wouldn't allow the kids to have any friends over. Um, he also financially wanted me to contribute, but demanded I attend all his social fun functions with him. That took away from my business. Um, he would basically get mad and accuse me of caring more for my business and my kids than him. Um, any way I twisted myself up, I could not make him happy. I was always doing something wrong. I felt like I basically was in jail. And it, in less than a year, it was like, just, it was nuts. Mm. And that's so true. It doesn't matter what you change in your life to accommodate, to keep the narcissist happy. I did the same thing. It's like, oh, I'm going to cut back on work. I'm going to put boundaries around it. I'm going to give you more of this. I'm going to give you more of that. I'm going to, you know, meet you, meet you, meet you, meet you, meet you. And it doesn't work. Yeah. Because they're projecting that inner tormented, damaged self. Their own not enoughness is constantly projected onto you as you are not good enough. That never stops. Yeah. So the next part that you're going to talk about, which is the hanging on, it's so consistent of what can happen and it is so torturous. And yeah, let's please describe what you did when you were hanging on. Oh man, after I after I moved out, moved the kids out, I still um for two more years um hung on. It was the basically this like I said, it was my third marriage. I really felt like um that three strikes and you're out. Um, that was in my head continuously. I felt um, I just wanted this to work so badly, um, like it felt in the beginning when we just met. Um, I had no idea what I I did to make it fall apart. It was um, even though I disliked him, I felt like I could just not walk away. I was embarrassed. Um, I felt a lot of shame. Um, I I remember always feeling like if I could just show him how much I loved him, then maybe he would be nice to me again. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think later I um, realized, well now especially, I realized that this hanging on and um, was just me repeating my childhood. Um, my mom also did the same thing with my dad. Um, my kind of to explain that my parents married really young. Um, my mom was pregnant with my older brother at age 16. 
um, the marriage was tumultuous um, at best. And during various times um, during our childhood, my dad moved out, they reconciled, broke up again. It was just off and on. Um, my dad had numerous affairs. Um, he was a binge drinker. He would leave for the day and not come home for a week. Um, he always felt really far away, but I loved him with all my heart. I, kind of one of my childhood memories of, of my dad was one night my parents were out and left us with a sitter and I fell asleep watching TV on the couch. Um, my parents came home and my dad had picked me up to take me to bed and I woke up and I felt so safe in his arms. And I remember, it was like the first time I, I remember feeling warm and safe and loved. Um, and after that, I tried so many times <laughs> to fall asleep on the couch so my dad would pick me up again and just hold me in his arms. Um, and it never happened again. Um, I can still feel that feeling and how happy my heart was, how warm it felt. Um, that little me that felt so safe and loved in those few moments wanted desperately to feel that way again. Um, my mom was suffering from her pain of the marriage and the betrayal she experienced. Um, she was very erratic and would lash out at me in strange ways. It just didn't make sense. I always felt really off-kilter with her. I didn't know from one moment to the next if I would get a slap from her or a hug um, or a kind word or a put-down. I, I remember feeling like I had to make sure she was okay at a very young age. Um, one time she slapped me so hard across the face. She left my whole side of my face was black and blue. And I remember, and I don't remember why she even slapped me, but I remember afterwards consoling her because she realized how badly she had hurt me and she noticed how black and blue I was. Um, I learned how to sense what was going on in the room as soon as I walked in so I could protect myself. Um, people really scared me. The only place I felt really safe was being outside, playing in the woods with my brother and his friends. Um, these people that um, were raising me were just crazy most of the time. I just remember just wanting to be far away from them. Um, I also felt like there was always a dirty fog kind of hanging over our house after about the age of 10. Um, my mom told me really intimate details about herself and my dad. They were very inappropriate for a, a young girl. Um, I really felt like a fish, kind of in a fishbowl, watching the crazy going on. Um, my brother was really hyperactive and kind of took the heat off of me um, with his bad behavior um, and kind of kept me out of the line of fire 
so to speak. Um, even though I did my best, I did get in trouble. Um, and I remember I just being quiet was safe. I remember don't speak, don't feel, don't ask questions. Um, that was safe. Um, I got really, I was, became really angry. I was very moody. Um, and I just did not want to live um, in this crazy world where people were just ugly. I remember just feeling like they were ugly. Um, I don't recall a lot of joy after my early years and just wanting relief, I remember, from all the drama. Um, my parents divorced when I was 17. Um, my dad immediately married his secretary, the woman he'd been having an affair with. Um, my mom had also been having an affair. Um, my mom went just a little crazy. She, well, more than a little crazy. She tried to commit several times, commit suicide several times. Um, she drank a lot. Um, one time my brother and I came home and there were suicide notes on our pillows, that kind of just nutty stuff. Um, at that point, I just lost respect for either one of my parents. I hated my dad because of what he'd done to our family. And I didn't feel like I could trust my mom at all. Um, I felt abandoned, betrayed, and angry. Um, my brother was pretty much lost in a fog of drugs and alcohol. Um, he eventually ended up living on the street. Um, and then 10 years later, uh, he drowned um, in 10 inches of water when he was um, intoxicated. Deanna, that's an incredible story. You've been through so much. You really, really have. So there was incredible pain and dysfunction in your earlier years. So when were you able to start being able to put the pieces together of all of this? And just before you respond to that, I'll just get you to just adjust your microphone again, just maybe give it a little bit of a rattle and talk directly into it and we'll try and cut out some of that background noise again. Okay. Um, so basically, gosh, when did I start to put all the pieces together? Um, through the NARP program, um, I learned how my parents projected onto us their dysfunction and mistrust, um, false beliefs, um, both religiously and sexually, um, along with morally um, in many areas of our lives. Uh, relationships for me had become something I craved almost physically because I felt unloved and unlovable. Um, I had little to no self-esteem, but a lot of street smarts, and I could act my way through a lot. Um, I was always afraid um, that I would be found out, though, so I had to keep all those secrets because if anyone knew who I really was, no one would ever love me. Um, drinking... Um, was my way of keeping all those ugly feelings at myself, about myself that day. I really believed that my thoughts were truth and real, 
Um, and then they made me bad and dirty and unlovable. I thought that everyone else had this living thing all figured out, but I just didn't know what the rules were. Um, everything felt really, really personal to me. Um, through NARP, I was able to release these false beliefs and forgive myself. I had no idea that many of my thoughts and feelings were lies that I had heard many, many years ago and had repeated to myself over and over and over again. Uh, it's amazing to me. When I realized this and forgave myself, I cried like I had never cried before. So much anger came up and out of me. Um, it was a huge soul relief when I realized that none of it was real um, and that I was okay and I had no idea what I was doing to myself. Um, I realized I could forgive myself, really forgive myself for believing the lies and then perpetuating them. Um, this breakdown gave me the biggest breakthrough to realizing that I just simply had not known anything else. I had no idea. Um, through NARP now, I do. It's kind of um, just finally feeling free. This, it was just huge for me. It's hard to say. Well, I know the people that have done it can totally relate to me. But I had uncovered, uncovered basically the simple truth that I had been fed and learned dysfunction and pain and lies. And I didn't know any better. I believed the programs. I believed the lies, and I just kept them going. Um before my throat would hurt from holding back my words because I had no voice. And now I, my throat doesn't ache anymore. Um, if it starts to tighten up, I ask myself, what is this about? I can sense my body when it's trying to tell me something. I was so um, disempowered from my own feelings and my own sense of who I was in my body. Um, one of the best things for me is for the first time in my life, I'm not in a hurry to make decisions. I had no idea what peptide addiction even was. I said existed. I had no idea. Um, I didn't know anything about cellular levels, neuropathways, releasing um, physical feelings and false beliefs. Um, I had no idea that I, I had charge over my thoughts and beliefs and that I could love myself unconditionally. Even the dark spaces that I thought only I had, um, that was huge for me, realizing that my thoughts didn't make me who I was. Um, the other thing through NARP is I've learned not to judge my story and also to not believe that I am my story. Um, my soul, I believe now and I totally understand, was screaming at me to be seen and heard and loved. Um, I wanted this person 
um, my acts to make me feel complete and whole and take care of me so I didn't have to. I wasn't looking for a partner. I was looking for relief. Um, that was huge for me to, to realize. Um, the other thing that just makes every day fabulous is I know I don't have to wear other people's bad decisions, their actions, uh, their projections. I don't feel alone anymore. Um, I like who I am. Um, I like being by myself. I like my own company. Um, it's like I have the power and soul confidence now to walk on my own path. Um, I'm also currently working on the fourth module of the Self-Empowered Healing Course. Um, this program is giving me an even clearer understanding of who I am and how to live confidently and authentically. Um, it just clarifies things and makes things clear and defined. Um, and it's all inside. It's just... It's just um, and uncovering it. Um, it's like I'm coming back to me after being on a really long journey, um, which was for the very purpose of getting me here so that I could have the opportunity to experience, experience wholeness in this lifetime. And um, I've seen the effect my recovery has had on my children. And it's obvious to me that we are all thriving because of this. I had goosebumps, Deanne, when I was listening to those lines of, I was not looking for a partner, I was looking for relief. Mm. Wow. They're some of the best lines I've ever heard. And that is so true about the narcissistic codependent dance. The narcissist is looking for narcissistic supply. Not a partner, looking for relief from the, the inner void and the inner torment. And as codependents, we were doing the same thing. Mm, it's huge. It is huge. Okay, so these realizations that you've had have been incredible. And truly, Deanna, you have changed completely who you are. You have become a different personality. You're no longer the old Deanna. You're the new, new Deanna. So how long is it since you started working NARP? I started last August. Um, so, yeah, it's just been incredible. Um, yeah, so we're saying about 10, 11 months. Yep, hmm. yep. It's, and to me, it's um, boy, the last... Probably it didn't take very long at all, um, and it's just it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and I'm, I'm amazed at how simple it is. It takes time, but it's just it works incredibly, incredibly. <laughs> mm, that's so good. So good. So, Deanna, I know that many people in the community have experienced a narcissist as a second or a third or even further down the track major relationship. And it's later in life as opposed to earlier. So what would be your advice to these people who believe that they may not get, even get another chance at love? Oh, my goodness. Um, 
to me, it's... And how old are you now so that you can share that with the community? I'm 51. I just turned 51. Wow. Yeah. You are a very, very cool (laughs) 51-year-old. Thank you, darling. You rock. (laughs) Oh, man. To me, I, I... I think part of this and um, had kind of this sense of I have the next half of my life um, to really live it. Um, and to be, it sounds so funny, but I, I'm in love with my life now. Um, I feel like anything's possible as long as I keep showing up authentically and set my boundaries um, my relationships I'm like I said before I'm in no hurry um, but I know in my heart that I love where I am today Um, the friendships I do have I they're real Um, and little by little, I'm beginning to recognize because I, I love, and you have it in your program. It's like, I love myself now. Um, and that's the best relationship. And I know that to the bottom and the core of who I am. Um, and no matter what kind of friendship or romantic relationship I have, I can take that away from it. Um that when I come to the end end of my life, I, you know, I'm going to be alone in that moment. Um, and it feels good to know that um, I'm going to show up in that, um, however that looks. I am dating someone right now, um, so that's possible. Um, for me, it's a slow, steady thing. And to be a friend and I'm very clear um, and I've, I've been clear with this person that you know I want to be friends I you know romance is all great and wonderful but at the end of the day when I'm sitting at 90 years old then I want to look at whoever I'm with and say you're my buddy uh, sure. and that's what I'm that's working on yeah gorgeous that's beautiful that relationship with yourself that you talked about. I was listening to um, Anil Donald Walsh that a lovely friend of mine from the UK sent me last night. I was listening to that and, you know, and it is so true. You know, when Neil Donald Walsh says, this is all about you because there is nobody else in the room. Every one of your life experiences and everybody that you accept and have in your life is you. There's nothing else. I love that. I love that when we come home to that. It's just so beautiful. And uh, there was an Eckhart Tolle thing I was reading. I'm just so loving the journey at the moment. It's just so rich and full of abundance of information. <laughs> it's like, wow! I'm like a kid in a coffee, in a, in a uh, lolly shop. But uh, Eckhart Tolle, you know, and he's saying, you know, if you want to say you're a superior or inferior to anybody, Let's think about it, whether it's two or 70 years' time, we're all going to be rotting somewhere, returning to the earth. Like, we're all one, mm-hmm. but it has to start with self. has to. And what are we going to take with us when we go? 
you know, our soul. That's what we're going to take. We're going to take what is our true self, the ego, all of that rubbish is going to fall off, everything.